Welcome to Raw Faith, a podcast for believers who want to grow and mature in their authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. In our time together, we hope to challenge each other to become better doers of the Word and not just hearers. This program is hosted by Shelley McWilliams of Sozo Restoration Ministries, which helps people to transform their lives through the healing, wholeness, and equipping of Jesus. So let's see where the Word takes us today. Greetings, saints of God. Welcome. It's good to have you join us for this podcast. I'm Shelley, your host. The last episode, I talked about the love of God and specifically referenced 1 John chapter 3. I want to stay on the topic of the love of God, but I want to change the direction now of not just God's love for us, but I want to talk today about what do we do with that love? Obviously, we're told to abide in it, but how do we step into a maturity in being a child of God? Love produces naturally. Love brings life. And so what is that life that we are supposed to be entering into as we truly grasp the love of God for us? And if we look at 1 John chapter 2, the end of verse 5 and verse 6 tells us that we can be sure that we have truly come to live in intimacy with God not just saying I am intimate with God, by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. So John tells us here that we know that we have reached a level of maturity in our intimacy with God because it says living in intimacy with God. It's not an in and out thing. We're maturing. We're learning to live in that revelation and that understanding how beautiful the love of God is for us. How do we know that? John tells us that we know it because we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. So I want to dig into that a little bit because the word is very clear. That is the fruit of an intimate relationship with the Lord. And my personal opinion is I think there is such sin in the church because they have not really experienced the intimacy with God. And I talked about that the last episode because of our brokenness, because of whatever. But when we're able to truly grasp that intimacy of God, the love of God that invades us, the fruit of that is that we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, is that because we have to? That is religion. But when you're in intimacy with God, it's not a have to walk in the foots of Jesus. You're in love with the Lord and, and you are in love with Jesus and you're in love with the Holy Spirit. And you realize that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And because of that intimacy with God, that we want to walk in a way that resembles Jesus. We want to continue to grow in that intimacy, to continue to grow into the likeness of Christ, to continue to grow our testimony for the Lord. And it's a desire that comes out of love, not a have to, or not, this is how I'm going to earn my way into heaven. It's a response of understanding God's love for us. The scripture is very clear. It says, we love him because he first loved us. And when we get that revelation, it changes everything. So how do we hit that place of maturity to where we live in the intimacy of God? Which means, again, the fruit is walking in the footsteps of Jesus or living like Jesus. Well, if we jump over to staying in chapter two, I want to look at verse 15, 16, and 17, because I think it gives us a real key here. 
So John goes on and he's talking, starting in verse 15. He says, don't set your affections on the things of this world or in loving the things of this world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. So let me stop there for a minute. John is telling us, hey, here's the truth that you need to understand. The love of the world and the love of God cannot dwell in the same heart. It opposes each other. It's like light and darkness. And there's other places in Scripture where the world is referred to darkness. And Jesus said that, in fact, it was in chapter 2 of First John, where Jesus says, I am the light. So light and darkness have no place. So John tells us here that the love of the Father, which is light, and the love of the world, which is darkness, they're incompatible. And he goes on to say, for all the world can offer us is, and he lists three things, the gratification of the flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with the status or importance. Then he goes on and he repeats it again. None of these things come from the Father, but from the world. In verse 17, it goes on and says, this world and its desires are in the process of passing away, but those who love to do the will of the Father will live forever. So I want to talk a little bit about these couple verses, because I think it can give us a real insight into how do we step into that maturity. Well, John tells us, listen, there is something that is in direct opposition to God's love, and we have a choice to make. We either love the things of the world or we choose to love God. We can't do both. And there's a passage of scripture that talks about, of course, referring to money but it says you cannot love money and God because you can't serve two masters. You'll either love one or you'll hate the other. And so it's the same principle here. We can't love the world and love God because our humanity does not have the capacity to love two masters. Scripture is clear about that. The Lord has created our heart to be narrow that it cannot love and have a priority of two different things. So we're either going to love the world or we're going to love God. And this is honestly the battle of the sinful nature. This is what Paul talks about. I die to my flesh daily because we are human. There is a sin nature that we have. When we accept Christ, Paul made it very clear that we do not have to be slaves to sin. We do not have to live by the standards of the world but we're able to live by the standards of the kingdom of God. So let's go back. What is our measuring rod? How can we gauge our hearts to say, you know, where is my affections at? What do I need to resist and what do I need to embrace? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, John lists three things and says, this is all that the world has to offer us. One is the gratification of the flesh. Two is it can offer us the allurement of the things of the world, and I'll dig into what these things are. And number three is the other thing that the world could offer us is the obsession of status and importance. So these three things give us a clue. If we're struggling with these three things, then we have to embrace we are struggling with the love of the world. And this is about allowing our flesh to die daily. It is about choosing to lay down our life and lose it, if you will, 
so that we can find it in Christ. I want to read the King James Version of that passage of Scripture because it may be more familiar to you. The translation that I was reading from earlier is the Passion Translation, but the King James Version reads like this. The love of the world, or neither the things of the world, or any man should love the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. Again, talking about that incompatibility. You can't have the same forces dwelling and a priority in somebody's life. It's impossible. They are in opposition to one another. And the King James goes on and says in verse 16, for the love that is in this world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and not of the Father, but these things are of the world. And the King James goes on in verse 17 to say, and the world passes away and lusts thereof, but he that does the will of the Father abideth forever. So I want to spend just a couple seconds here. Okay, longer than a couple seconds, maybe a couple minutes. And I want to take a look and, and dig deeper into these three things that the world has to offer us. So keep in mind the backdrop here is these things are what is in direct opposition to the love of God in our lives. I dug into the original language to really understand what these things meant. The first thing that the world offers us or that is of the world is the gratification of the flesh, or again, King James refers to it as the lust of the flesh. In the original Greek language, the lust is defined as a desire, a craving, a longing. Now listen, for what is forbidden. That jumped out to me because it's easy to say, yes, lust is a desire and a craving. I think most of us know that. But as I was reading the Strong's definition of that original word, it's amazing to me that it says desire, cravings, longing for what is forbidden. Well, how do we know something's forbidden? Because it opposes God. It opposes God's word. That word lust right there immediately tells us that anything following that is in opposition to God because that lust is the desire for the things that are forbidden. And many of us think, oh, well, that's just the physical flesh and, and that's certainly part of it, but it doesn't just mean that. It means that it's also our thoughts. It's also vain imaginations. You know, if we look at the terms desire, cravings, and longings, when you think of it, a desire starts in our thoughts. We begin to be enticed by something. We begin to dwell on something and think, huh, that might be nice to have. And then it moves into a craving, and a craving is what could be called as a vain imagination. It's when we dwell on a thought long enough that it begins to stir emotions in us. It begins to bring that desire into an emotional response. And longing is when that emotional response happens. Longing can also be defined as a heart hunger. So we see that the lust of the flesh is not just what our bodies does, but it's what does our mind think? What, what do we dwell on? Because whatever those two things are, our body is going to follow that. And so we have got to understand that the lust of the flesh does not just start in the sin of our bodies, but it starts in the sin of our thought life. It starts in the sin of the things that we entertain and we dwell on in our thought life. 
So that's one thing that when we are in that cycle, that is the world. And that's what the world offers. And it opposes God. Now, the second thing that John points out that is of the world is the allurement of the lust of the things of the world, or King James says, the lust of the eye. Now, most of us would equate that to desire as well. But again, digging into the original Greek language, it's very interesting what I found out. Again, the lust of is meaning desire, craving, longing of what is forbidden. But what does the word really mean by the eyes? Well, here's an interesting thing. It comes from the original Greek word, which it does mean eye, but it is also a metaphor for the eyes of the mind or the faculty of knowing. Now, what does that mean? That means that the lust of the eyes is not just what we see and are enticed by, but the lust of the eyes are the things that we think. The lust of the eyes are, this is how I think it should happen, or this is my understanding of things, or God, I don't understand that, so that can't be you. And can I tell you, this one hit me right between the eyes. Those of you who know me at all know that I have a type A personality. So I can be very intense. I also have a gift for teaching. And so I love to learn. I love to understand. But at times, if I understand or not, causes an angst between the Lord and I. Because it's hard for me to let go of something that I don't understand. And when I read this, I thought, oh, Lord, wow, this is really where my struggle has come from. Praise God. He has continues. She won't say has, this isn't done, but he continues to do a work in me of helping me bring that personality type he gave me into submission to the spirit of God. So I don't get trapped in this. But how many can admit that? Many times we expect God to do something in a certain situation or a certain circumstance. And because it looks different or, hey, let me throw this one out, because the timing is different, because I have never known God's timing to ever be a person's timing, but because the timing is different and our human understanding can't figure that out, we get upset with God. Hey, I've been there, done it. I have more than one t-shirt. And I've got to work through that with the Lord and say, help me lay this down and just step in trust with you. So the lust of the eyes, it is the eye of our understanding. It's the eye of our human limitations. Because we try to define what things mean, that's our earthly understanding. But when we come into alignment with God's word and we allow him to define what things mean, that's how we're submitting and we're leaning into the love of God and not the love of the world. So many of us function in our relationship with God out of our understanding and not trust. I'm in the inner healing and deliverance ministry. So I am with people almost every day who are struggling with traumas and hurts and things that have happened to them. And they've got to work through. I don't understand how a sovereign God could allow these things to happen. And because of that, it is a wedge between them and God. But the word of God makes it clear. God's not going to override somebody's choice. God's not going to override that abuser's choice. God's not going to override that drunk driver's choice. Now, that doesn't mean that God isn't hard at work in every situation around that. But the beauty of what Jesus said is, I come to bind up the broken heart. I come to set the captives free is because he knew that we would suffer things by our own choices 
and other people's choices that affect us. So Jesus came and said, hey, I may not be able to stop certain things because I created this law that I am not going to override your will, but I have come and I can redeem anything that has happened to you. I can heal anything that's happened to you. I can set you free from anything that binds your life. And so our mind and how we think and our understanding, okay, that's the lust of the eye, our understanding, it opposes God because we want to put God in our definition and our box. But part of experience the love of God is we may not understand what he's doing and we may not understand his timing. But if we stay in the love of God and we live in the love of God, we abide in the love of God, we're able to just say, God, I don't understand this, but you know what? I know you're good. And I know I may not see it, but you said you'd work everything out for the good and I trust you. And when we can't do that and we struggle, it is a battle between the things of the world, which is the lust of the eyes, or again, our understanding, or the love of God. Okay, let's go on to the third thing that it talks about, and that is the obsession of status or importance or the pride of life, as the King James says. So the third thing the world has to offer us is status, important pride. Well, pride can be defined as receiving our identity in something else that makes us feel good. It's an empty assurance that we put our trust in that in some way gives us value. We know that God resists the proud. If we stay in that place of pride, it means that we desire and we go after the things of the world that make us feel like we've arrived. It might be a job. It may be a spouse and 2.5 kids and a vacation home. It may just be, hey, I got it all together and you know, people respect me and I'm in leadership. I don't know what it is for you. It's different for everybody, I'm sure. But the pride of life in the original study of the language is the trust and the stability of earthly things. It comes from the root word that means an empty pretender. So when we are battling with the pride of life of the world, we begin to put our value, we begin to put our security in things that are shallow, in things that there is no substance. It's an empty pretender. Why? Because our value comes from being created in the image of God. Our value comes because God knit us together in our mother's womb. Our value comes because he wrote every day, every plan that he has for us in his book before we came out of our mother's womb and screamed for the first time. Our value comes because our maker made us valuable, because we are loved and cherished children of God. There is nothing else that can make us valuable to our core other than being able to receive the value that our creator gave us and the love that God showed us through sacrificing his son, Jesus, because he wanted intimate relationship with us. You know, it's so frustrating our human flesh sometimes because I think about God, you offer such beautiful, unimaginable things with how you express your love. Yet, why do we let these things of the world tantalize us and feel like we can get some sort of gratification or satisfaction or self-worth through these things? Because in comparison to what God's done for us, they're ridiculous. So I totally get 
how the Greek word came from an empty pretender, because the pride of life cannot match anywhere close to the love of God. But if we are striving and we're trying to get our value in those things, the scripture is clear. It opposes God. We, by our will, are making a choice that I want to lean on my own understanding. I want to lean on my own desires. I want to lean on the things that seem easiest to me to find my value in, even though it's not true value. See, that's the things of the world. That's why John says, don't set your affections on the things of the world or loving the things of the world. Well, you know what all three of those things that John laid out has to do with? Us. It has to do with us. It has to do with us being Lord of our life or God being Lord of our life. When you put it in that context, it's easy to understand why they oppose each other. We cannot have two masters. And John tells us that all these things of the world, these desires, these empty pretenders of status or value, these things of our understanding, all of this is passing away. It's fleeting. But to do the will of the Father and abide in him forever, that is life. That produces life. I want us to just chew on that and remember our heart, our humanity, it's incapable. God created it too narrow to contain both the love of the world and the love of God. So we've got to sacrifice one. We can't have both. One will eventually take over. And I talked about it a little earlier, but Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Again, as John talked about in 1 John, the second chapter, the things of the world opposes the love of God. It doesn't just defile it. It doesn't just taint it. It doesn't just limit it, but it is in direct opposition to the Lord. That's why it's so important not just to have a Savior, which means, yes, Lord, I acknowledge you died for my sins, and we feel like, okay, I'm going to live eternity in heaven. But we've got to go the next step to have a Lord. And a Lord says, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. I give you the right and the access to any part of my life that you call the shots. I give up my, my right to call the shots. And when we do that, that's us dying to the world. And we set our affections on things above. We set our affections on Jesus. And it begins to mature the love of God in us because there's nothing opposing it. And so that's why the scripture talks about if we love him, we'll be obedient. That's another fruit. Why? Well, because if we don't allow the love to consume us, then we're going to have an obedience problem because we're going to be obedient to God sometimes. But then when it opposes what we want, when it opposes what makes us feel good about ourselves, when it opposes what our thoughts are and our time frame is, then all of a sudden we take lordship back in our life and say, well, God, I'm going to do it my way because, see, I just don't understand what you're doing here. Then that is not dwelling or living or abiding, whatever word you want to use, in the love of God. We pull ourselves into lordship in that area and say, okay, well, you can have lord over all of this, but in this area, God, I'm not sure I'm going to trust you with that, so I'm going to do it my way. 
and that is the, that is the battle of the flesh. That is the world as opposed to the kingdom of light and the love of God. And that's the choice we make. Every choice that we make either partners with the kingdom of light in our life or it partners with the kingdom of darkness. There's no middle ground. There is no middle ground. We're not to set our affections on the things of the world, but we're to turn our affections on the love of God and abide in that love. Now, is that easy? Heck no. It's not easy because we die to our flesh daily. But here's where the hope lies. In Christ Jesus' sacrifice, he broke the power of sin in our lives. And when we put us on the pedestal of our life and not God's, that's sin. When we lean on to our own understanding and not God's, that's sin. It opposes the things of God. But Jesus, in his sacrifice, Paul says, we do not have to be slave to sin. So that's one beautiful component. The other beautiful component is we have the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. Jesus said, I'm going away so the Father can send another. Holy Spirit lives inside of us to give us the grace. And he gives us his empowerment to go back and turn to the love of God and resist the things that we naturally want to cling on to sometimes. We're to abide in the love of God, to stay in, to live in, to be engulfed, if you will, in the love of God. And when we embrace the things of the world, it opposes God's love and we can't abide in it. Now, does God's love change? Absolutely not. But when we choose to line our lives up with things that oppose the love of God, it's us that changes. Our hearts begin to become harder and harder and less pliable to God. Our strengths begin to come from what we decide and earthly things than leaning on and trusting God. This podcast is about becoming doers of the word. And so I leave you with this word in 1 John 2. I leave me with this word in 1 John 2. And I challenge us, what are we going to do with it now? Because now that we know, we're accountable. Now that we know, we need to pray, God, bring the reality of this word to fruitfulness in my life. Help me release anything that is incompatible with the love of God in my life, that I would be able to abide, to dwell, to live in the love of God, to be attached to the vine of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you'll join us the next episode. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and share this podcast. And if you want to know more about Shelly or Sozo Restoration Ministries, visit our website at sozorestoration.org.